You ever have something in your life that you take for granted? You don't mean to take it for granted. It just kind of, it just kind of happens that way. Maybe it's one reason that we celebrate anniversaries or that we have special holidays to, to remind us of the things that we want to be reminded of, to remind us of the things that we need to be reminded of. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. And there in Ephesians chapter 2, which is going to be the, the text that we're going to look at this morning, it's really a call to remembrance. But in many ways, when I read, I think, why, why should we need to be reminded to remember this? You, you think about things in your life that, that are wonderful things. Maybe you think about relationships in your life. Maybe you think about your husband or your wife or your children. Maybe you think about the blessings of life. You, you think about your, about your job or you think about some, some extra perk that you have. I, I don't know how you would fill in this. Maybe, maybe you think about just a, a wonderful meal that's put before you. And, but, but you remember those moments when you just thought, this is awesome. This is great. Do you, you, you remember the way that you felt when, when you and your wife were, were dating? You, you, you remember the way that you felt? Thomas, you remember the way that you felt on your wedding day? I mean, yes, right? Do you, do you, remember, do you remember the way that you felt on the day that, that you got that job that you'd wanted for so long? I mean, I don't care what I got to do. I mean, I'm just glad to be there. But, but sometimes those things in life that we become so excited about, well, after a while, after a while, we just start to well, assume that they're going to be there. I remember being out in Colorado a year or so ago, and one of the amazing things to me, it was my very first time in Colorado, and when you're there in Denver, do you know what you can see? The Rocky Mountains. And I was probably one of the most distracted people all weekend, because every time somebody was talking to me, I was looking. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't take my eyes off of them. But you know those people that live there, they didn't have that same problem. They just went on about their lives just like normal, right? Same way people from South Georgia do with gnats. That's how they were with the Rocky Mountains. It's just a part of life, just moving right along. And those things that are so amazing, after a while you start to, to assume them, and then, and then you start to expect them, and, and you start to take them for granted, and, and you might even get mad if those things aren't there. Well, in our text this morning... Paul is going to write about Paul's going to write about the most amazing life transforming in awe of make you take a step back thing that we could ever talk about and that is the grace of God. Friends, when we think about the grace of God, if it doesn't make us take take a step back, if it doesn't make us say, "Wow, then we've lost something. If we can sing Amazing Grace, and our thought is, this is an old song. 
If that's what you think when we sing Amazing Grace, I'm just going to challenge you that you don't understand grace. Because grace ought to make us stand in awe, and that's why. That's why we have to go back and be reminded of these things. To be reminded of the awesome power, the awesome blessing that's before us so that we don't forget so that we don't stop being taken aback by the most important things in this life. Open your Bibles there to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is going to begin, and he's going to, he's going to begin with a statement about, about every one of us. He says, and, he, and you, you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sins. He says, I want you to think, Christians, about your life, and and I want you to think about about something that makes you very uncomfortable to think about. I want you to think about something that you've spent a great deal of of, of of your existence trying to overcome and put behind you, and that is your death. Not your death in the in in the flesh, but your death in the spirit. I want you to think of those moments in your life when you were hopeless, when you were dead. Friends, do we understand that dead means dead? There's no such thing as being a little dead? Or I'm, I'm dead, but I'm not as dead as that guy over there? Dead means dead. And when God came into this world, He did not come to take good people like you and me and make us better. He came to take dead people and give life. He came to take wretches and redeem That's not talking about those people. That's talking about us. Friends, if I forget that, if I forget that, then I'm forgetting the very foundation of my relationship with Jesus Christ, who came, He came to seek and save the lost. He came because of that most desperate need that you and I have, for the wages of sin is death. But the point is not death. Paul's bringing the point up because Jesus came to give life to dead people. You see, everyone in this room, everyone in this world, everyone in the history of the world ought to be able to relate to the idea of death. And death, spiritual death, damnation, deserving of damnation, being being the the result of, of sin. But Christians, Christians can relate to the idea of being given life when death was all but a certainty. Every one of us will face death in this life. We can all relate to that. But how many of us can relate to life? When Jesus spoke with Nicodemus there in John chapter 3, and and Nicodemus wanted to know about this thing that we called eternal life and salvation, and Jesus said to him, I say to you most assuredly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When when, when I was a boy, I would hear about people, and they would call them born-again Christians. And, and I thought that had something to do with, with Pentecostalism. Friends, that had nothing to do with Pentecostalism. That has everything to do with Christianity. The only type of Christians that there are are born-again Christians. That's what it means to be a Christian. 
It means that we were dead, and He came and He gave life to us. I'm telling you, you cannot, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Paul would pick up on this imagery in, in Romans chapter 6. You remember, and people are struggling with their sin. They're struggling with this idea that, well, maybe I can just keep on being the same person I was in the past. I can keep living the same way that, that, that I did in the past. And he says, he says, do you not know? That as many of us as were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in a newness of life. That imagery where he says, Listen, when you're, tempted, when you're tempted to have a life that's filled with sin, when you're tempted to have a life that's filled with, with, with your own fleshly pursuits, can you remember? Can you remember when you were born again? Can you remember that, that climactic moment when you were added to the body of Christ? And you arose from that watery grave to what? To walk in a newness of life. It is the opportunity that Jesus Christ gives us to overcome ourself, to overcome our sin. It is that opportunity. It is that opportunity that people say they would give anything for. A second chance. If people would just give me a chance. You ever heard anybody say that? Maybe you've said that. Maybe you've thought that. I've done this thing, but I don't, I'm not proud of the fact I've done this thing. I've been this person. I just want to start all over again. And Jesus says, that's why I came. So that you could be born again. And if you're a Christian here this, here this morning, I'm talking, I'm talking to you. And I'm talking about your mama and your daddy and your grandma and your grandpa. And those people that you can't even, you know, you, you, you look at them and you think, I wonder if they ever even know what sin is. And I mean, let me assure you, they know what sin is. But they know who Jesus is. And Jesus has given them that opportunity Jesus has come and shed His blood so that they might be born again through His blood. And they have begun to walk in a newness of life. That's where He begins. That's where He begins here in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. In which, listen, wouldn't it be good if we could just move on, but we can't move on. I think maybe one of our problems is that we want to move on from this too quickly. We, we want, when we have sinned, our, our, our tendency is to say, I just want to put that behind me and never think about it again. Don't we? Don't we? I do. But to understand, to understand, and I know that there are ways that people can, can be mired down in their sin and not understanding and not embracing the forgiveness of God. But, but to understand, as if we understand the gospel, it is not that we live the rest of our lives thinking that we've never sinned. We live the rest of our lives knowing full well that we have sinned as a tool to understand the glory of what it is that Jesus has done. There are many people who are not amazed at God's grace. 
because you don't wrestle with your own sin. When you wrestle with the depth of your own sin, I know you don't want to do that any more than I want to do that, but I'm telling you it is so necessary to wrestle with your own sin, to think about your own sin. One guy I was just listening to recently, he said, he said he likes to encourage people to dive deep just for a moment. You spend some time thinking about all the reasons that you deserve damnation in hell. These are pretty strong words, right? He said, I'm not, I don't want people to think that so that we can leave them there. But it's only when you get the depth of sin that you become amazed that there is hope. I'm not amazed at healing until I think I'm going to die. Until I, until I know I deserve to die. So, so he continues to say of, of this dead man that was raised, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the, the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath, just as the others. He speaks of these, of these three enemies that all of us know far too well, the first, the, first, the, first, uh, the first of which is the world. He speaks of the world in which we once walked according to the course of this world. John would say it like this in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. He said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. To become a people who have very clear allegiances, who are very intentional in our faith, that we walk with Christ, we don't walk with everybody else. We are surrounded each day. We are surrounded by each day by the things and by the pursuits of the world that, 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 that tend and, and desire to rule our life. And if we are not careful, we are carried away with those pursuits. We are carried away, not because we want to be, but we just, it just happens. We, we, we were going to a ball game uh, on Friday night, and we were, we were driving up in Atlanta, and, and I looked down. I looked down, I was going 88 miles an hour. Yeah. Now, now I don't drive that fast. I, I don't drive that fast, okay? I'm just telling you, I don't. And to my teenage daughter who's listening, I do not drive that fast, right? And I would deserve a ticket if I'd got one. But, but do you know why I was driving 88 miles an hour? I mean, it scared me when I realized I was going that fast. That's what everybody else was doing. I was just keeping up with traffic, right? I mean, if I'd cut it back to 80, they would have run me over. And you just get carried away with it. And I thought, that's what, that's what he's saying. You get carried away with the things of the world who will fill our life with anything and everything except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you relate to that? That's what he's talking about. Where the world, listen, all you have to do is nothing. 
All you have to do is just kind of let life take care of itself, and I promise you the world will pick you up, and before you'll know, and before you'll know it, you, you, you'll be driving as fast as everybody else. But I'm not talking about driving your car. I'm talking about, I'm talking about that, that highway we find ourselves on. It's not just the world. It is, it is the devil. It is the devil fulfilling according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Do, do, do we understand? Do we understand that, that, that there is that mighty roaring lion who desires to devour us? Do, do we understand that there is a being? He is, he is not God. He's not as powerful as God. He only does things by the, by, the, by, the will, by the will or by the permission of God. I understand that. But there is a being who is working for your eternal destruction. That's why temptation is always there. That's why those things that we know we ought not be and we ought not do and those things we know we ought not say, we call, we call it talk about sin. Well, wouldn't it be easy for a Christian just to say, well, of course, I'm a Christian now, so I don't, I don't struggle with that anymore. It doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't work that way. Temptation presents itself continually in our lives. The only difference in, in the child of God and, and the child of the world is that, is that the child of God actually fights the temptation. The people of the world give in to the temptation, give in to those passing pleasures of sin. There in, in Acts chapter 13, in Acts chapter 13, in verse 10, we have one of many texts that, that identifies the struggles going on in this world. It identifies them rightly as the tool of Satan. You remember when Peter, the apostle Peter, you remember when Jesus was trying to tell him that he was going to be crucified and he said, over my dead body are these things going to happen. I won't allow these things to happen. Filled with righteous indignation. And Jesus looked at him and he said, Peter, Peter, I mean, don't say, don't say stuff like that. Is that what he said? You know what he said. He said, you get behind me, Satan. It's that need that we have in our lives to identify things, to identify things according to their source. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 10, Paul was on his first missionary journey, and, and, there, were, and there were those who were, who were distracting from these things. This magician named Elimus and, and the text says there in Acts 13 and verse 10 that, that, that Paul looks at him and he says, Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? I just find it interesting that, that he doesn't just, he doesn't soft pedal this. He's really clear. Let me tell you where you come from. Let me tell you where your doctrine comes from. Let me tell you where your activity comes from. We can talk long about, about the, the, the distresses of our world and the, distress and, and the distresses of, of our nation. 
But we would do well to understand where they come from. Satan. Satan. We live in a land that is scourged with with abortion, the killing of babies. We can talk about laws, but, but, but can we talk about the real problem? The real problem is Satan. We live in a land that, that, that struggles, with, it struggles with racism. Can I tell you where those jokes that we think are funny at the expense of another people, can I tell you where they come from? Before you share them on social media again. They come from Satan. We could go on, we could go on, we could go on. When we begin to look at sin and begin to understand where it comes from, all of a sudden it reshapes it from this is fun, this is funny, this is pleasurable, to this is of Satan. But if I'm not thinking in those terms, then I get carried away. I have and you have. And then he talks about the real problem, and that is the flesh amongst whom we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. Do we we see the real enemy? Oh, the world is this and the devil is this. I'm just going to tell you, you can put me in a room all by myself, and my biggest problem is still there. It's me. It's my flesh. James says in James 1 and verse, and verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. He's in the context of people want to blame God. God did this. God didn't do that. I've had those conversations on both ends. Listen, I can tell you the problem. The problem is me. The desires of the flesh, of the mind. We were by nature the children of wrath. Now, now there, there are false doctrines that come along with, with some of the terminology that's used here where he talks about being by nature the children of wrath. That there's, that there's a false teaching known as the idea of total depravity. It's this idea that, that you are so totally depraved it would be impossible for you to respond to God unless God first acts upon you. Akin to the idea of original sin, that you're born with someone else's sin. That, that's a false doctrine, Okay. That's not what the New Testament teaches. And if you want to talk more about that, I would love to. But, but I think about what places like the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 20 and verse 18, where the text says, The soul who sins shall die, and the son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wicked of the wicked shall be upon himself. It's a false teaching, right? But listen, I, I, I can stand here and I can say, Am I not so glad that I don't have to answer for my father and my son doesn't have to answer for me? Yes, I'm glad of that. But if I think that that helps me very much with the message of Ephesians 2, then I'm missing the point. Because the point is about my struggle with sin. Yes, deal with the false doctrine, but get back to the point that we have a sin problem, every single one of us. And the world, and the world is carrying us away, and the devil is providing temptation, and our flesh, I mean, it just has this ugly default within it that we, we, we turn towards sin. What can help me? I think about what Paul said in Romans chapter 7 when he said, 
oh, wretched man that I am. I am frustrated. Why can I not be more holy? How many times have you left a worship service and you've said, I'm going to do better? Anybody ever do that? that that's, I am convicted. That thing that I've been doing is not right. I'm going to quit doing that. I'm going to treat my wife different. I'm going to treat my husband different. I'm going to be more respectful to my parents. I, I'm, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to be more holy. And the things that I want to do, I do not do. And the things that I do not want to do, those are the very things that I do. Anybody relate to that? Like Paul. I'm just, I'm aggravated at myself. Why am I doing these things? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Because I obviously can't do it. I mean, I obviously, I, I mean, I've, I've clenched my teeth and by my sheer, sheer determination tried to do this so many, and, it, and I fail over and over and over and over again. What's the answer? I thank God the answer is through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the one. He is the one who can help me to overcome these things. And so, and so when, we, when we get to verse 4, and he just says, but God, I know we've been going along and the message has not been this great, pick me up this morning, I feel good about life. Because let me just tell you, the first three verses, they're not happy verses. But God, I can't do anything about the first three verses. But God can. God does. He is our Redeemer. He is our Savior. He is the one that we need. He is the one, the only one that, that, that can deliver us from this death. He is the only one who can take dead people and make them alive. But God but God, who is rich in mercy, because of, the, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead and our transgressions made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. He is our Redeemer. He is our Deliverer. And He did that. Jesus came to this world the Son of God came and He lived and He died and, and He was risen from, from the grave and everything that that, that that entails. He did that for you and for me, knowing full well what those first three verses were all about. Knowing full well how we have dealt with sin in our life. Knowing full well how undeserving we are. Can, can I tell you that there is a part of that statement that... That really terrifies me. But, but there is a part of that statement that, that brings me such peace, maybe in a way that nothing else does. It terrifies me. It terrifies me that to know that everything in my life, God knows about. Everything that I've ever done, everything that I've ever said, everything I've ever thought 
The, the, there's that little joke that goes around where the, the child was apologizing to, to, to their parents and said, listen, I, I just want to apologize. I want to apologize for all the things that I did in high school that I know that I shouldn't have done. And I, I regret those things and I'm sorry for those things. But, but on the plus side, you, you really only knew about half of it. And no parents are smiling at that. But it's like, but everybody's like, is it talking? Yeah, that, that's what he's God knows. God knows. Can you imagine if somebody knew every thought that you had in your mind? That make you nervous? And some of you guys are glad you got on masks this morning, right? Because it's like, oh, every thought? I mean, we, I mean, I just think that'd be dangerous. God knows. That's terrifying. It'd be bad enough if my wife knew. It might be worse if my mama knew. But to say that God knows? That's terrifying. But, but it brings such peace because he knew, not after the fact. He didn't go to the cross and then, oh man, Wes isn't exactly what I thought he was. If I was doing that all over again, I wouldn't make that investment. That, 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 that's not what happens. He goes to the cross knowing those things full well. That doesn't make sin lighter. That makes sin heavier. That means, that means I don't have to walk around with this idea, man, if anybody ever finds out that I've struggled with sin, then it's over for me. If anybody ever finds out, you know, that, that, that I don't have everything all together, then, then I guess, I mean, it's, I, I just got to walk away from the church. What a foolish ideology that doesn't understand God's grace in the first place. Once again, it's not, not, not to belittle sin or to assume sin, but it's to elevate the grace of God. Who can help me overcome this? Jesus Christ, our Lord, who made us alive with Christ, and by, by, for by grace we have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Read this in verse 7. In order that in the ages to come... In order that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, I got lots of questions about these last two verses, but, but, but let me give you somewhat of a summation of what he's saying here. That through the grace that God shows to us, in some way, we become the personification of His grace. That God is able to hold us up to the world or to all of creation and say, do you want to understand my grace? Do you want to understand my forgiveness? Then look at Wes. Look. Look at Jeff. Look at Brian. Look at Kate. God says, I've done these things in order that, that in the future, in the ages to come, He might show, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us. That's in Jesus Christ. Isn't, isn't that a thought? Isn't that a thought when we think about what it really means to be a radical disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a person not who wallows in our sin? Don't, don't be that person. Don't, don't be that person who acts like our sin in the past was, was a good thing. It wasn't. Our sin put Jesus on the cross, okay? But to be a person who can have the conversation about what Jesus Christ has done in our life. 
Friends, that's what the world needs to hear. And that's what we need to proclaim. Not so that people will see us. Let me tell you about God and what God has done in our lives. That's our story. That's God's purpose. For by grace, he says, for by grace, he says in verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Understand where our lives have gotten us to. They lead us to death. But understand what God has given to us. We have spent this month walking around, thinking, talking about God's grace. There's God's grace. But if we come to the summit of the most wonderful things that God has brought to us, may we see our salvation at the very top of that mountain. This is the gift of God. This is something that we have by and through the power of God. I know, I know it's through faith, right? I know that, that this doesn't mean that, well, I sit back, I live any way that I want to live, and then the, gra- and then the grace of God just covers it. Come on, come on. Paul says in Romans 6, God forbid. I, I mean, I, I don't know what, what you've been reading, but that's not, I mean, anytime you justify sin, you didn't get that from God's word. You don't understand that rebirth, Romans 6. Paul, the Hebrew writer, would say in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30, in that great hall of faith, right? In that great hall of faith had all these people who did all of these things. I get it. They did all of these things. That's why they're there. But what they accomplished was not because of what they did. It was because of the hand of God, the power of God. Hebrews 11 and verse 30, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Yes, they marched around those walls once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day. Is that what made the walls fall? They would not have fallen if they hadn't done it. I know that. But is that what made the walls fall? The whole point is it's the power of God that made the walls fall. And i got to remember that when I'm here back here in Ephesians 2, even as I'm talking about the, the, the necessity of, of, of what God calls us to do and to be. But if I walk away from that, if I walk away from that focusing on what we do, then I miss the whole point. Because the whole point is, lest anyone should boast. Paul would say, I am what I am by the grace of God. And friends, if that makes you uncomfortable... Good. That ought to make us uncomfortable. That's the very nature of grace. If it doesn't make you a little bit uncomfortable, you're probably understanding what grace is. For by grace you have been saved. If we interpret this, if we interpret this to in any way act as if man deserves or earns his salvation, then we miss the whole point of what he's trying to get across. The point is, you, you, you want to know the, the key to radical Christianity? It is being a person who understands the gift of God. You turn to God 
Not just once you've got your life figured out, but you turn to God when you are unworthy because he died for you while you were unworthy. You allow him to transform you. You allow him to lead you. Yes, you have to be willing in these things, but listen, the power, the power is in the hand of God. This is the grace of God. Have we accepted that? That's, that's our question, right? Have we accepted the grace of God? Well, why wouldn't you accept this? I don't know, but a lot of people don't. A lot of people reject the grace of God. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, week after week and month after month. I got this. I'll handle this, on my, I'll handle this life thing on my own. I'll handle the future on my own. I'll handle eternity on my own. I don't need you. I don't need your God. I don't need, I don't need a Savior. Oh, oh, yes, you do, whether you acknowledge it today or not. The good news is that Savior continues to extend an invitation to us even and as we spit in His face. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I've tried to help people before, and I have to wonder how well I do when they spit at me. And God continues to invite those people. Those people that I am, get so frustrated with. What's it going to take? What's it going to take to move people? What's it going to take to move me? Well, I mean, a pandemic won't move them. They still think they're in control. But he still extends the invitation. Will you accept it? The grace of God is the most powerful gift that has ever been offered to any one of us in this room or in this world. His gift of salvation. Friends, all we have to do is take hold of it. All we have to do is take hold of it. And it will change our lives. You understand this? Yes, it will lead you to salvation, but it'll change everything else in your life. Because all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's not about how strong you are. It's about how strong your God is. And you always are going to win that. Friends, if you're here this morning and you've never, and you've never submitted to His will, this is His will. I, I make this stuff up. This is His will. The people would, would come, they would repent. They would be baptized into Christ, be born again. That's an invitation brought only by the grace of God. If you would respond to His will by taking the burdens of your life, the cares, the concerns that, quite honestly, most people in the world don't want to hear. And there's a God who says, you bring them to me. I want to hear. You respond to His grace as every Christian must, as we stand and as we sing.